Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So this episode drops on the 14th of November, which uh, is hard to believe that we're already this far along in the year. Ten days away from the uh, Thanksgiving holiday here in the United States. Oh, it's one of my favorites. For, I would say, about ten years, Thanksgiving was my absolute favorite holiday because I got the most days off in a row throughout the whole year. Yeah. I think it was like four days off in a row. And it was like the most magical time. I didn't have to work for four days. We stayed home. We made amazing food. We watched 80s movies. We ate cheese and crackers and drank mimosas. Yeah. I I love our little traditions. (laughs) And only 10 days from now, we'll be doing that. And that means 11 days from now, we'll be putting up our big Christmas tree (laughs) and decorating. I love this time of year. We usually don't start decorating until the weekend, though. So that's only a recent development, though. I had to talk you into that over a period. I wore you down (laughs) over a period of of years. Because I would never decorate until three weeks before Christmas. Uh And then you convinced me to start doing it on the 1st of December. Mm-hmm. And now it, oh, and then it was the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And right. now it's just the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Or, or if you want, we could start Thanksgiving. That'd be fine. <laughs> well, the thing is, we don't, we, we have a fake tree now right? this year. So we don't have to worry about the tree dying by putting it up too soon. That's, I mean, that is a good point. But I love the holidays. I love sitting with you at night, watching old movies and maybe having a, an adult beverage or two. We were watching a documentary not too long ago about uh, King Henry the Eighth. Do you remember this? His summer palace, and in his palace there was a big meeting hall, and all along the top of this cavernous room was a balcony. Yes, yes, yes. And on the balcony were carved faces of people looking down, very lifelike faces. Mm. And the idea was that people in the hallways wouldn't gossip as much if they thought they were being watched from above. And this practice of carving faces near the ceiling has become what's known as eavesdropping. And I, I love that story. Oh, because they're in the eaves. Yeah. yeah. Oh, 
Oh, I hope that wasn't too loud. I literally just yelled into the microphone. Sorry. <laughs> you and I love the origin stories of everyday phrases. We and, do. And we've talked about this from time to time. We were just talking about it yesterday. I don't remember what the phrase was, but just yesterday we were having a very in-depth conversation that has completely left my brain. <laughs> well, that's just part of getting older, sweetheart. Um, we've talked about how Ulysses S. Grant, when he was president of the United States, lived at the Willard Hotel in Washington, D.C., and we've had the privilege of staying there during one of our live shows not long ago. Mm. It's a beautiful historic hotel. But Grant lived there. After a long work day at the White House, Grant would stroll down the street, making his way into the lobby, have a brandy served to him, and he would sit in the corner of the lobby, sipping his brandy and smoking a cigar, reading the afternoon paper, just unwinding. And this became an everyday ritual. And it became well known among the locals that uh, Grant could be found there every day after work, sitting in the lobby having a brandy. And this was a time when there was very little security around the president of the United States, certainly much more lax than it is today. Sure. Soon people who sought favors from the president would wait for him there in the lobby at the Willard Hotel. Soon he became frustrated with these people. Sure. And the story is that he yelled at them one day to get away. He said, get away from me, you lobbyists. <laughs> and that's the origin of the term lobbyist in the political world. I love stories like this. They're great to throw into party conversation like this. During the early days of the Puritan settlements in uh, the new colony of America, places like Plymouth Plantation in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. There was considerable tension between the pilgrims and the local native peoples, especially at first. A lot of distrust, and understandably so. Eventually, peace negotiations were initiated, and in a sign of good faith to the native peoples, the Puritans, in plain view of the natives, would take all of their weapons and they would bury them so that they were unaccessible during the meetings. This became known as burying the hatchet. No. Oh. And of course, today, it still means to end a quarrel and become friendly. Fast forward a little more than a century. Valley Forge. Those of us who are familiar with American history know that it was the winter encampment for the Continental Army's main body, commanded by General George Washington during the American Revolutionary War. In September of 1777, about 12,000 men gathered to spend the winter there. Now, maintaining the cleanliness of the colonial army uh, was a challenge. Right. Yeah. Scabies broke out. The army had limited supplies of water for cooking, washing, and bathing. Dead animals would often just lay unburied. It was a particularly cold winter, and the troops were ill-equipped for it. There was a huge lack of of footwear. And I remember hearing this when I was in grade school and we learned about the uh, winter encampment mm. at Valley Forge. And you've probably heard it too. Soldiers would fashion makeshift footwear out of twine and newspaper, uh, pretty much anything that they could find. But many of the troops suffered frost-burned and frozen feet. And this condition, more than any other, kept the troops from rushing into battle. And oftentimes it was said that some of the soldiers would fake having frozen feet and it wasn't long before anybody cold feet cold feet yep yeah it wasn't long before anybody who resisted going into battle was referred to as having cold feet oh this is such a fun game please do more fashion in the 18th century was amazing and weird 
<laughs> this yep. was the time of ruffled shirts, big overstuffed puffy jackets, and of course, powdered wigs. Lots and lots of powdered wigs. And over time, it became quite extravagant. And of course, the royals and the nobles were the first ones to do that. And so pretty soon, the commoners were trying to impersonate them and wear powdered wigs to make it look like they were in higher society. Right. It became a status symbol to have a powdered wig. So the rich wanting to continue to differentiate themselves from the commons and the common powdered wig wearers uh, made their uh, wigs larger. They increased it in size. Nobility never was... Big wig! Big wig! I'm so sorry! (laughs) It became kind of a a situation of one-upmanship where the wigs just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Please Uh, don't leave me. (laughs) But it it was common in the 18th century to refer to the richest of the nobles as the big wigs. Oh, that was so satisfying. (laughs) A lot of these sayings, because they're common English sayings, not surprisingly came from England. Uh, in the 16th century in England, houses were known to have thatched roofs. You've probably seen, well, they, a lot of them still do, uh, historic cottages. And they're very picturesque. Uh-huh. You've seen pictures of them, quaint cottages with thatched roofs. Apparently, they're quite effective in shielding the occupants from the elements. Um, it was also a common hiding place for animals. They would burrow into the thatched roofs to keep warm at night. I know this one. Don't say it. I won't. Not just rats and mice and squirrels, but also domestic animals that could get up there. It was not uncommon for people who had dogs and cats at the time to leave their animals out to roam around at night. And they would attempt to stay warm. The domesticated animals, they would join their wild cousins climbing into the thatched roof or jumping off a a hill nearby if you were a dog and burrowing into the thatch. And that's all well and good. Until it would start raining, and then that would make it uncomfortable for the animals in the thatch. The wild animals would scamper away, but the domestic animals would try to burrow further into the thatch in order to get into the house to stay dry and warm. Consequently, when it was raining hard, it was not uncommon for cats and dogs to fall out of the ceiling. Hence the term. Raining cats and dogs. Raining cats and dogs. (laughs) In the Middle Ages, prisoners that were condemned to death were taken down what is now Oxford Street in London to their execution. It became a custom for the prisoner in the prison cart to stop at a pub on Oxford Street along the way. They would allow the condemned prisoner to jump off and guarded would be uh, taken into the pub and allowed to have one final drink before their death. I feel like we've talked about this one. Well, it spawned two phrases. One we have. Oh, one was uh, one is having one more for the road. Right, yeah. And then the other one came from this act. When they were done drinking, they were brought back outside and put back on the wagon. Oh, because they were done drinking they, for good. For good, you're back on the wagon. It's not uncommon in most organized religions to make some sort of sacrifice to their god or gods. Sometimes they were violent human sacrifices, Mm. animal sacrifices. Sometimes it was just foregoing certain types of food during certain times of the year. Sometimes it's donating goods and money. And sometimes it's throwing balls of butter at statues. Uh, mm. In ancient India, it was a common practice when seeking the favor of the gods to take balls of clarified butter and throw them at the statues. 
Essentially, they were giving up a valuable item to the gods so that they, the gods would grant what it is that they wanted. Isn't clarified butter called ghee? That sounds right. Yeah. This became known as buttering up the statues. And although I, I don't really share their religious beliefs, I think throwing butter at statues sounds like a hell of a good time. Is buttering up the statues like a phrase that they use now? When you butter up somebody, when you're buttering somebody up. Oh. I got one by ya. Oh, I see. I got one by cat. <laughs> I got one by cat. My information came from Board Panda, Wikipedia, History Channel, and BuzzFeed. <laughs> that was so much fun. Perfect little uh, nuggets to drop into conversation. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores and bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save 
Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. And now, that thing in the middle. Remember this sound? In the 1990s, the internet became widely available to the masses. But it was only available through dial-up. Modern dial-up modems typically have a maximum theoretical transfer speed of 56 kilobits per second. Although, in most cases, 40 to 50 kilobits is the norm. Nowadays, most internet providers measure speed by megabits per second, which is equivalent to 1,000 kilobits per second. So 50 kilobits per second equals 0.056 megabits per second. Recently, gigabit internet connections have become widely available. That means you're downloading 100 million bits per second for 1,000 megabits per second. That's way faster than 56K. But now, get ready, we're taking it to a whole new level. In June of 2022, a new chip was tested at the Technology University of Denmark in Copenhagen. It's called a photonic chip, and it's a technology that allows optical components to be built into computer chips that split a data stream into thousands of separate channels and transmit them simultaneously. In other words, they split the light beam into the seven colors of the rainbow, and each part of the spectrum can carry information. Over a 7.9-kilometer optical cable, they transmitted 1.84 petabits of data per second. A petabit is 230,000 gigabits in a single second. To put it in perspective, that's more than two times the amount of all the data that's passing through the entire backbone of the Internet at any given second. Golly, mister, that's fast. You betcha. Dana sent us a message on Instagram regarding a very quick, unrelated to anything back and forth we had about the fact that I had made bran muffins. Dana said, any asshole will tell you bran muffins are the shit. <laughs> that sounds like a t-shirt <laughs> slogan, does. doesn't it? Uh, speaking of which, somebody has insisted that thou shalt not pester motherfucker become a t-shirt. That sounds fair. I think so. Leslie sent us a message. I had a great box of oddities effect today. My wife and I listen to y'all every time we road trip somewhere. It's the only time we're allowed to listen so one of us doesn't get ahead of the other. Mm -hmm. So we are currently behind on episodes. We started a new episode by accident and heard y'all talking about being moved. Today, as we listened to Box 350, I turned to her and I said, I wonder when they're going to announce they're moving. Jethro immediately shared the news that y'all were moving to Orlando in August. <laughs> we both just looked at each other and said, box of oddities effect. Oh, that's crazy. Love y'all and the show. I love that stuff. <laughs> Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. 
So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history. If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books on Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class, part of the Area of Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir to zen, my friends. Bye-bye. I'll be seeing you. Did you know that the curator was almost named Little Dingo the Dog-Faced Boy instead? Dodged a bullet there, huh? This is The Box of Oddities. India's River Ganges has extreme important religious significance to Hindu culture. It's personified as the goddess Ganja. Hindu faith holds that bathing in the river can absolve one's sins. But the River Ganges is also one of the most polluted water bodies on Earth. This river is polluted by agricultural runoff and over a billion gallons of industrial waste and raw untreated sewage per day. Still? That's never been... Wow. Yeah. Wow. According to Hindu faith, there is salvation in being cremated on the banks of the river and then deposited into it. Mm -hmm. The land over which the Ganges flows is regarded as hallowed ground, and it's believed that the holy waters of the river will purify the soul and lead to a better reincarnation— or, best case scenario, liberation from reincarnation so the soul can end the cycle of life and death. But sometimes the religious practice of burning the corpse on the side of the river doesn't work exactly as planned, and the corpses are only partially burned. And according to the BBC, the corpses of those who cannot afford to be cremated in the first place are just dumped into the river. Just dumped in there with all the raw sewage and industrial waste. Wow. This practice has led to a severe river corpse debris problem. Oh, no. Now, many people who worship the Ganges do not see this as a problem. They believe that the river is holy and so that the pollution is not really pollution, that the Ganges is self-cleaning, and that it's still the most holy and beautiful thing, even though it's literally filled with poop. And corpses, industrial waste. But environmentalists have been concerned for decades. Back in the late 1980s, the government came up with an idea to deal with specifically the corpses. Okay. Now, keep in mind, there are a lot of problems going on here. There are no wastewater treatment plants. Mm. The tanning industry releases so many chemicals into the water. All of this problematic but the corpses they were really concerned with well let me ask you this hypothetical question if you had to bathe in a river that was full of poop Mm -hmm. or bathe in a river that was full of corpses and body parts and you had to choose one Mm -hmm. which one would it be i guess it depends on the ratio of 
corpses sure. and and poop to, right. to water. Right. Um, if it was like I was bobbing between bits of bodies. Bobbing along, bobbing along. No, I mean, because it, the body is going to be releasing all of that stuff anyway. Yeah, that's the way I look at it. It's a tough decision, but I'm going with Poop River. At least if there's a bunch of body parts, like you wouldn't be able to see the water so clearly. <laughs> I don't know. I, it's a really tough question. I know. I'm sorry. It's hypothetical. You don't really have to choose. Thank you. You're welcome. <sighs> so back to the government trying to solve the corpse problem um, rather than the other stuff. Yeah. Um, so they came up with this idea. Flesh-eating turtles. What? Specifically, Trionyx gangeticus. Or the Indian softshell turtle. Flesh-eating turtle. So the Indian softshell turtle is a species of softshell found in South Asia in rivers like the Ganges. They're actually endangered now. So they're going to throw them in a river full of poop and corpses. Great. Well, they can reach up to 37 inches, their carapace. They're, they're a sturdy turtle. Or a sturtle, as I like to call them. Exactly. And super cute. Well, hundreds of years ago, these turtles flourished these turtles flourished in the Ganges <laughs> until they were killed off by hunters for meat. Okay, so, so they they were not florist turtles. They flourished. Okay, gotcha. The population dwindled, and so this initiative was really beneficial in more than one way. More turtles, fewer corpses. The animals were bred on a government farm and reared for almost a year and a half before they were released. They were raised on a diet of exclusively dead fish so that they wouldn't develop a taste for living things, which is good because okay. people swim in the river. Sure. You know. Yeah. According to a worker on one of the government farms, they eat everything, everything except for the bones. Ten adult turtles can consume an entire human body in two days. That's crazy. Yeah. I didn't think turtles did anything fast. And bonus, turtles have religious significance. They were kept in temples in Orissa, so there was <laughs> acceptance. What are you laughing at? I thought you were going to say that turtles had religious beliefs. <laughs> the and, turtles were way into this. And who are we? Right? Really, to assume. No, it's the people who have their religious beliefs. The turtles um, were kept in temples in Orissa, and there was this acceptance from people that this was going to be part of their spiritual process. Death, cremation on the riverside, the Ganges, and then a turtle eats you. Wow. Okay. And these turtles were kind of already doing the work anyway. They had demonstrated a taste for deceased flesh by raiding the funeral pyres that hadn't been cleaned up on the side of the oh. river. So they they were already finding these corpse bits, and they were like, all right, we're into it. <laughs> so it really worked out well. It's kind of like fast food for turtles. I thought they didn't do anything fast. So you can see how this is like a win-win, right? But the project was not fully fleshed out, if you'll pardon the pun. After $30 million and 25,000 turtles, the plan failed. More accurately, people failed. So the government didn't make a plan for how to protect the turtles once they were in the river. Okay. And as we talked about before, the population, the turtle population had dwindled because people hunted and killed them. So the government's releasing these flesh-eating turtles into the river to do their business, 
And people are hunting them and killing them and eating them. Didn't they tell the population, hey, stop killing the flesh-eating turtles? They don't really listen. Again, people fail. So it was not taken into account, how are we going to make sure that these turtles can continue doing their business and be protected? So they were wildly poached and killed. Not to mention, the program was mismanaged and there was a lot of corruption within anyway. So whether or not all the money that was intended to go Mm. to the program went to the program, we don't know. Ah, so they were skimming off the top, which is a horrible phrase when you're talking about a poop river. There's actually mixed reporting about whether or not the program is still in place. Hmm. Some say it's still enacted, but only on paper. So if the program's still in place, on paper, is someone still getting paid for this? Interesting. But the pollution in the Ganges has only increased, and the turtle population is decreasing. Over a thousand turtles are released into the river each year, but they're not the specifically trained flesh-eating type. They're just regular turtles. But people just keep killing them and eating them. First of all, They're don't be- eat anything that comes out of a river full of poop and raw sewage and industrial waste and corpses. How could you eat something that came out of a river like that? Secondly, don't kill turtles. I think a lot of it's got to do with necessity. The people don't have a lot of options. Mm, Well, that's pretty shitty if that's your best option. No pun intended. Right. So the people failed the plan and the turtles. And now there's just a like a stocked river of turtles for people to eat, which is a real bummer for the turtles. And a potentially very cool symbiotic relationship, river and turtles and corpses, you know, that circle, like like one of those things. Very morbid circle of death. Right. That should have worked out great because of people Mm -hmm. does not. Mm, That's too bad. Yeah. Mm. I had read somewhere that that sort of funeral practice where they they build a pyre and they burn the corpses and then dump the the remains in the rivers Mm -hmm. uh, has also led to catfish growing to ginormous sizes because of the readily abundant uh, corpses. And they have also developed a taste for human flesh. Oh. I think River Monsters did a, uh, a segment on that one time. Oh, really? Yeah. I love that sometimes I'll come in and you're just watching River Monsters. I love that show. <laughs> he always puts them back, sweetie. I know. You always reassure me of that. Though the thing that you were watching last night, I do not condone. I don't like it. And I hate that I saw it. I don't remember what that was. What was that? Something about oh yeah, infecting the, animals with the plague. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, it was an experimental hospital in uh, Russia, I think. I hated it. Where they, yeah, they, they did testing on horses to come up with a vaccine for the plague yeah that was the it was like two sentences in the entire documentary and you walked in the room just as they said that and i looked at your concerned and tortured face as it twisted and you slumped out of the room and, and and i wanted to go and reassure you that it was just those two sentences but i knew that wouldn't make any difference that's all you need you tender-hearted little fuck <laughs> I said all that to say this. You're a tender-hearted little fuck. All right. Anyway, I got my information from earthsendangered.com, Smithsonian, and Atlas Obscura. Before we close, can I just say how incredibly frustrated I am with laundry? 
I'm so sorry. Well, it's not your fault, but why is it? Well, I do the laundry. Well, I know, but but this isn't your fault. And by the way, thank you for doing the laundry. You're welcome. I appreciate that very much. And I'm not sexist. Um, <laughs> I have several different brands of white athletic workout socks. And whenever I'm trying to find some socks to wear, mm-hmm. I can never find a matching pair. Mm-hmm. I can find six different white socks and none of them are the same brand right and i can't wear them no if they're a different brand because they're different thicknesses i know honey and i'll like lilt to the side as i'm trying to work out struggles it is why is it that every time and it's not just it's not limited to just white socks i will find a fistful of different socks and none of them match mm-hmm. none mm-hmm. i don't I don't understand it. Is there a better way that I can organize your laundry so that the pairs are available for you in pair form? There must be some kind of a system we can come up with. Maybe I should pin my socks together before we throw them in the washing machine. Because somewhere between the laundry hamper and uh, the freshly folded laundry pile, socks are making a getaway. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the great escape, but with socks. I'm so glad that you got that off your chest. I know I that was better. really bothering yeah, you today. I feel, I feel better. Thank you for letting me air my laundry. <laughs> Guys, thank you for hanging out with us. We love you so much. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. What you got for me? India's River is extremely meow i've already fucked up <laughs> <laughs> hello everyone stakuyi here and i'm gabby and we are the hosts of history of everything a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is well i mean it's about everything do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.